0: Hi I'm Andy Chamberlain and this is the Creative Writers Toolbelt the podcast that gives you practical advice and encouragement to help you with your writing. You can find out more at my website andrewjchamberlain.com where you can also find out about the Creative Writers Toolbelt handbook which condenses all of the very best advice and insight from my expert guests and me in one place. I hope you enjoy this episode of the Creative Writers Toolbelt podcast and it's helpful to you on your writing journey. And welcome to episode 158 of the Creative Writers Toolbelt podcast. This episode features one of my favourite guests, an editor who manages to combine a formidable expertise in the craft with a friendly and accessible manner. You'll most likely know her from her YouTube channel, but she's also featured in a two-part episode on this podcast in 2018. My guest for this episode is Ellen Brock. And in this conversation, Ellen gives us some recommended reading on how to master the structure of story. She gives us some insights on how to manage point of view for our characters when we're writing in close third person. And she also gives us some great advice on what advice we should actually use and what we should discard. So that's the main focus of this podcast. But before we get to that, for those of you who haven't heard yet, I'm going to be putting the Creative Writers Toolbelt podcast on hiatus at the end of March. There will be one or perhaps two more episodes after this one the final one being me rounding off the podcast for now. All of the existing episodes will still be available and I may come back to it again at some point in the future. But I feel like I've done what I intended to do with the podcast for now. So here is the conversation for this episode. I always enjoy talking to Ellen. I hope you enjoy listening to our chat and you find it useful. Here it is. So Ellen, what a pleasure to have you on the podcast again. It's really great to have another opportunity to talk to you. And welcome to the Creative Writers Toolbelt again.
1: Thank you. I'm happy to be here again.
0: Uh, So for those people who don't know anything about you, uh, I wondered if you could just introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about you and and the work that you're doing.
1: Um, I'm Ellen Brock. I'm a freelance developmental, primarily a developmental editor. So I help with the big picture editing needs for manuscripts. So that's mainly things like structure and character arcs and marketability and things like that. I do a little bit of line editing off and on, but it's not my primary focus. Mm. Um, These days, I also do a lot of coaching. So I work with writers on some particular issues that they're having or particular elements that they need work on. So that could be voice oftentimes, or it could be um, structure, scene structure, sort of anything along those lines. And I also run a YouTube channel where I upload free writing and editing
0: advice. Cool. And we're going to find out a little bit more about that YouTube channel later. So there's a couple of uh, areas that I want to talk to you about specifically for this episode, and they are pacing and editing. Big areas, but we'll see if we can yeah. kind of at least, you know, this is We could talk for hours about this stuff, but we'll see what we can get done in, in an hour or so. So let's talk about pacing first. And I wondered if you could tell us, as a professional editor, what do you mean when you talk about pacing across the whole of a novel?
1: Yeah, pacing can encompass a lot of different things, but generally it's about creating a nice sense of flow and sort of a smooth sense of progression So pacing should keep the reader engaged. So that's about increasing and decreasing tension at ideal moments. Pacing isn't all about making sure everything is really, really tense and really, really exciting all the time because you also need to balance it out with those lower energy moments. Mm. So um, reactive scenes where the character is sort of interpreting and reflecting on the more intense active scenes. It's also really important because it gives the character time to process, but it also gives the. Reader time to process so they can sort of wrap their mind around what's occurred The emotional fallout from that or any changes the character might have to what they're planning So the reactive scenes can also involve planning and deciding what the character wants to do next So that's really important. And then with the more tense scenes, but really like all the scenes in general uh, pacing is really about creating that sense of chain reaction between events so that scenes lead into each other. And then that makes it harder for the reader to put the book down because Mm -hmm. there's always this sense of leading into the next thing. And it also just creates a sense of flow in general. You don't want to hit these hard stopping points where Everything seems to be tidied up and wrapped up and there's really nothing for the reader to find intriguing anymore. Mm, So mm. pacing can also be about leaving things like unsettled so that the reader always wants to see what's happening next. So I don't know if that just made it more complicated, but pacing really (laughs) can encompass like a whole bunch of different kinds of things. So it really depends on what type of pacing you're talking about.
0: Well, one of the things maybe we can pick up on from what you just said, it seems that we don't, we writers, we don't have to write a book where everything's going at like a hundred miles an hour all the time. It's all full tilt all the way through. That actually it's okay to let the narrative breathe a little bit. So yeah, there there can be some some exciting stuff, intense stuff, and then things can slow down a little bit before they speed up again, perhaps. Is is that correct?
1: Yeah. If you have everything really, really fast and really, really tense all the time, it can actually create almost the opposite effect because it can be hard for the reader to process what's happening because you need those moments where things slow down. And then the reader can have a moment to sort of digest like, okay, what just happened and why is that relevant? And what does that mean moving forward in the book? If you jump too fast from really tense, rapid scenes. And it does depend a bit on genre. Thrillers, for example, there might be many like tenser scenes in a row where you might not have very long breaks or very long reactive scenes. Sure. But in most books, you want to see some pretty slow, reflective scenes included as a way for the reader to have time to comprehend what's occurring. And it's sort of like a pause uh, in conversation. It just gives some, it gives the other person a moment to think through in process one point before moving on to the next point.
0: But presumably, we're we're still kind of on our guard to make sure that the thing doesn't get boring or it there's too much telling or the you know that, that actually we've still got to kind of hold the reader during those more reflective chapters, haven't yeah. we?
1: Yeah, and for that, uh, focusing on the conundrum is the that's a popular way of looking at it. Is that reactive scenes are about a conundrum, so it's not just rehashing what just occurred but it's having the character process what it means in terms of what conflict or conundrum does that create so this bad thing just happened what problem does this pose and what's a possible solution so reactive scenes are often structured in a sort of stating the problem or thinking through what the problem is mm. thinking through possible solutions and then arriving at some sort of conclusion or solution for how the character wants to move forward
0: okay so just as a quick example of that, then, if we had, let's—I have just thought of this and see if see if we can kind of use an example to 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 unpack this. If we had a story where I don't know, there was um a, a young kid who was the ruler, the king or queen of a nation, and up to uh, and and the age of, I don't know, maybe they get to the age of sixteen or seventeen, and they suddenly discover that the person who was their mentor, who was looking after them, who was kind of helping them grow into their kingly or queenly role turns out to be an imposter and turns out to be, you know, maybe there's a, maybe there's a big fight. Maybe somebody, you know, maybe this person tries to murder them or something and they just about managed to escape. So there's been lots of drama and lots of conflict. And then this, and then we're into the next scene and that person has to then reflect on the the problem that this creates for them. So,
1: sure. is yeah. that,
0: is, so in, in that next scene where maybe that person has man, they managed to escape, but the person they trusted most in the world has turned against them or, you know, was a, was a traitor all along. If I was writing that scene and I wanted to keep the reader on board, are there are a couple of things that you could think of that I could put into that chapter to keep people on board and keep people going as we move through the story.
1: Yeah. So it probably is going to depend on how fast of a pace or how urgent the situation is. If their life is immediately at risk, then they may react very, very quickly. If there's somewhere True. where they have more time to reflect, uh, it would probably still be relatively short. So maybe it's just a matter of the character thinking, um, you know, here's someone that I trusted and I gave them all this information about me. They know all this stuff about me. They know where I live, obviously. And- yeah. I can't yeah. go back there. So now what do I do? So it's sort of about taking that emotional moment and then creating a tangible problem from it. So what what is the tangible outcome? And the tangible outcome may be, I need to find somewhere to go that's not here because here isn't safe anymore. Yes. Where do I go? And then they may think through, okay, what are my options for for going somewhere else like where could that be and then the next scene might be them actually pursuing moving somewhere else or changing sure. locations and so it can be really quick it could be longer it really depends on how much they need to think through yeah. and then you can also create something visual or something externalizing to make it more interesting so i mean maybe they're throwing things around their room in anger or maybe they're <laughs> Going through like a secret passageway to hide in their special hideout or whatever. Yeah. You can make it more interesting so it isn't just a bunch of text of thought because if it's just thought and no visuals, it can get boring or it can be harder to engage with. So giving something visual or something external for the reader to engage with as well can just make it stronger and just easier to keep the reader engaged.
0: And I suppose it is possible to throw in another character or a new character, a different character, into those more re- reflective scenes to, to perhaps help yeah. the, your your protagonist process.
1: Yeah, and yeah, using dialogue to process can be really helpful, especially mm. for children's books because children are they they find it harder to read large walls of text. They like the dialogue to break it up and it can be easier for them to understand dialogue as well, especially very young children. So dialogue is often a really good option. And I recommend frequently adding a friend character because it can really help to give the protagonist someone to bounce those ideas off of so that you don't run into that problem of needing to include these big walls of text of thoughts and feelings that can get boring but i would say adults definitely have a higher tolerance for that than the younger you go the less tolerance there is for those big walls of thought Mm -hmm. so that's i think worth considering for for ya or for middle grade i would generally say a friend is a good way of of conveying that information
0: so why I in middle grade, find your protagonist a friend when, when the <laughs> chips are down, when stuff gets hard, Yeah, <laughs> give, them a, give them a friend to complain to or something. So if we, if we think about the different narrative styles and point of view choices that we can make, and maybe I'm thinking particularly about point of view, although it could be different stylistic choices, do those choices have an effect on how a novel should be paced, do you think?
1: Um, point of view definitely will affect the pacing. If you have multiple points of view, because once you have okay. multiple points of view, you have to make that you have to make a decision about how the book is structured. If each point of view has their own structure, or if there's a collective structure, so the main plot points apply to every character storyline, or every storyline has its own plot points. If that makes sense, because then you're you, you need to make a clear decision about that because if sometimes you're thinking everyone has the same major plot points, but actually half of the characters, the main plot points or what you would consider to be the primary plot points of the novel don't actually impact those characters in any way, then you're going to have a hard time with the pacing of their sections because it can get really slow. Hmm. So there needs to be for multiple points of view there needs to be major plot points whether they're shared or not shared they need to affect all of the point of view characters assuming that they're sharing a significant amount of the book if you have a if you have a point of view that you're that you dip into for a chapter it's not they it doesn't need to have every major plot point applying to them but if you're uh, having a dual point of view novel or you're having three or four characters that are all about equally relevant or equally sharing, Mm, mm. um, then that definitely affects the pacing and can make it very tricky. But in that way, uh, in that case, I would recommend mapping, if at all possible, if you have any tolerance for plotting or mapping out (laughs) the plot, that you would do that for each character so that you can really see whether you've accomplished a story arc for all of them because the pacing can really go south fast in multiple points of view.
0: And is that because maybe one cu- one stream of the story with one character is getting bogged down slowing down meandering not really getting anywhere whilst others perhaps are going quickly or is, is it how what's what is the big problem with multiple points of view then that that we can run into
1: um, I think one of the big problems is just feeling like it has to be even, that you have to cut mm. from character A to character B to character A to character B, back and forth, back and forth, or A, B, C, A, B, C. And then you're putting scenes in that don't have any relevance or aren't, aren't uh, moving the plot forward, and then that can really slow the pacing down. So if you have one of your points of view really doesn't need to have a scene every two scenes or every three scenes or every four scenes or whatever, um, yeah. don't give them more scenes than they need because if you're giving them a bunch of scenes that aren't necessary, it's very obvious um, to readers, but it's especially going to be really obvious to agents or editors that you're sort of pigeon pigeonholing yourself into alternating viewpoints when you don't need to be evenly alternating. True. So I think that's one of the main things that can go wrong with multiple points of view is just getting stuck in that everything needs to be even and I need to spend the same amount of time in all the viewpoints. And then all of a sudden you have a bunch of scenes that just aren't contributing anything. There can also be some of the points of view might not be as developed as others. So you might not have um, a full plot line for all of them. And then occasionally also I see people who have multiple points of view because it's easier than conveying information from one viewpoint, but the other characters aren't really Developed in terms of a storyline, so they don't really have a goal, um, or they don't really have in, an antagonist for their personal storyline. So then their scenes just feel meandering or unnecessary, or they're used mm. pretty pretty mm. much just to convey information rather than because it's entertaining or moving the plot forward.
0: Okay, so I wondered if you could give us some examples of where pacing across a novel can go wrong, and what what are the mistakes that writer, especially new writers tend to make when it comes to pacing across the whole novel?
1: I think the most common mistake is probably just letting the character sort of stew in the exact same set of circumstances for a long period of time. So mm. that's something that you really don't want to do. It's really disruptive to the pacing. So maybe you have a main character that's adjusting to a new school, say, um, they're having a rough time acclimating, maybe they're getting bullied or they're getting bad grades or whatever uh, the case may be. And you can show that in a scene or two scenes, but if you have four or five or ten scenes that are all showing the same struggle with acclimation and there's no sense that the character is moving meaningfully towards a goal, that's when the pacing can get really, really off and mm-hmm. things can go really, really slow. I think this is especially common in the middle because you've gotten the character into the primary circumstance of the of the story and the setup usually lends itself because you have the inciting incident and you have all these sure. changes. So it lends itself better to forward momentum. And then once you get to the middle, you're not yet moving into the end game, but you're also in the main or primary circumstance that the uh, story is going to be set in. And then you can end up, Sort of giving the sense that the characters just kind of waiting for the climax to be set into motion. They're not really doing anything, or they're not really mm. moving towards anything. Um, normally, that's just because the middle needs a lot more events or a lot more plot points. Not ne- not necessarily major plot points, because there should be like the um, the midpoint as a major plot point, but there should be minor plot points throughout the middle as well. And often writers might not conceptualize enough happening in the middle and then the characters sort of just end up stewing around in the exact same circumstance not really moving in any particular direction and just sort of hanging out um (laughs) so there can be a lot of repetition of the same types of conflict with no forward movement Mm.
0: okay um and are there are there things specific things that you would recommend to help us avoid those kinds of mistakes like where maybe we just loot you know, things get a bit saggy in the middle of the story or 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 with the pacing slows down or the things get a bit dull. What, what are the things that we should do as writers to try and address this stuff?
1: For some writers, I think that, Plotting in advance is the easiest way to avoid that and that doesn't work for all Writers because some people just plotting doesn't help them or they absolutely hate doing it If you don't like to plot in advance, just make sure that the story is always Developing and the easiest way to do this is to make sure the protagonist has a goal that they can actually take action towards pursuing Uh, not having a goal is bad for the pacing, but having a goal that they can't take action towards for whatever reason. So if the goal is outside of their control, or if they just don't have any idea of anything they can do to try to achieve it, then that's going to make things feel really, really slow. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Even if the character is moving towards the goal in a way that is obviously not going to work, that's still much better than the character just not doing anything. That tends to be the biggest cause of that sort of sense of stewing and no development is just that the character can't move towards the goal for some reason or uh doesn't have a goal or there isn't an obvious objective and sometimes that's because uh something needs to be made more tangible so maybe the kid wants to not you know not be bullied they want to be popular but there's no sense of what that means. So what does that look like? Or how will we know if this character succeeds, they just need something more tangible. So maybe Mm. they want to get invited to the school dance, or they want to become class president or something that makes that tangible. So there's some action that they can take that moves them in a forward direction.
0: So an abstract aspiration might be okay, but it's not definitely not enough on its own because we need to see how the character might achieve that aspiration. We need to watch them trying to get there.
1: Yeah. And, and it may be the case that they try to, um, achieve it in different ways. They might initially try to be class president and that doesn't work. So then they're like, Oh, maybe I can date the most popular kid in school or whatever they can change. Um, they can change the externalization of that objective, but there needs to be some action that can be taken. If they're just wishing that things would get better, or they're just hoping that they won't be bullied someday, that's when you can really run into that problem of
0: hmm. uh,
1: things just feeling really stagnant.
0: Um, okay. So when I let's uh, so I've got a bunch of chapters that I'm working on, and when I look at them, if I, how would I know whether I need to keep my chapter as it is? or edit it down a bit or maybe even get rid of it completely what are the things that i'm looking out for and particularly with pacing i suppose but just as I, when i start to look at the chapters that i've got
1: Sure. If you can get rid of a chapter and it's very obvious that you could just remove it and it wouldn't impact the story, then that's a good sign that it it either isn't needed at all or it needs to be adjusted to be more relevant or you need to find a way to make it more Mm -hmm. integral to the story. I usually recommend looking at the links between scenes because this doesn't necessarily need to be a super, super obvious. You don't have to hit the reader over the head with the links between the (laughs) scenes, but there should be some kind of logical flow from the previous scene to the next scene and into the next scene. If you find you can just shuffle your scenes around in any order, that's another sign that the outcome of each individual scene isn't important enough. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that I'm trying to think why would this happen? I think the main reason that I see this happen is that it's the type of book where there's a lot of information That needs to be conveyed so it's about controlling that flow of information in a way that's more entertaining so maybe you have multiple scenes where the character learns something but it doesn't matter what order they learn those things then you end up with these scenes that you can sort of shuffle around and then the uh the challenge at that point is to find ways that the order does matter by making that information actionable so that when they get the piece of information in scene one, that lets them do something or take some action that leads to scene two instead of sort of a standalone piece of information in scene one, a standalone piece of information in scene two. Uh, That I think tends to be the most common reason that scenes could just be shuffled around or where it becomes very unclear if a scene is necessary at all. Mm. Usually that's because the, there's information that's necessary, but the scene isn't actually necessary to the plot because it doesn't give the character a way to react meaningfully.
0: So it sounds as if in a good story, the, the sequence in which things happen, the, the, the kind of linear flow is important that it's, that the, the progression can't just be random. Previous things that have happened have consequences for what's going to happen in the future.
1: Yeah, exactly. And if you don't have that sense of uh, consequences and interconnectedness of things, uh, it just can feel very stagnant and very slow. And that's typically when I find writers have the hardest time with chapters where they're not sure, mm. should I cut it? Do I need it? Uh, usually that's coming from a problem with the outcome of individual scenes. So those scenes just aren't affecting the plot in an obvious way.
0: Now, what about pacing within a chapter then? Is, is there such a thing as pacing within a chapter that, that we need to get right or we can get wrong? How does How does that work?
1: Chapters are a little bit tricky because they're not there's nothing structural about how a chapter is designed. You can have a chapter that has half of one scene in it or a chapter that has 5 or 6 scenes in it. So with the pacing of the chapter, it's much more about starting and stopping in places that are entertaining in yeah. a way that gets the reader to want to keep going. Scene structure is a lot more complicated or I wouldn't say it's overly complicated, but it's more set. It's more straightforward. You can sort of see if the scene structure is there or isn't there. But with the chapters, you could start the chapter in the middle of a scene. You could start a chapter right before the end of a scene. I mean, there's lots of ways that the chapter can be structured that doesn't have anything to do with like technical skill or understanding scene structure or anything mm. like that. So with chapters, I, I generally recommend just thinking about entertainment value. Are you starting too soon or are you including too much setup? I think that tends to be the most common problem with chapters is just starting too early or not getting to the point fast enough, not clarifying what the goal of of the scene or the chapter is. So the character is sort of just like meandering around for a while or going about their daily routine. And after a couple paragraphs, the reader is going to start getting antsy, wanting things (laughs) to move forward. Like, what's the point, you know? Yeah. And then obviously you can start chapters with foreshadowing or you can end them with cliffhangers. So you can really get really uh, very creative with the with chapter pacing and it doesn't have any sort of rigidness to how you might go about doing that. It's really dependent on personal style and what you're, what effect you're trying to achieve.
0: It sounds as if it's the beginning and end beginnings and ends of chapters that are really important in terms of capturing the reader early and hanging on to them and finishing so that you, so that you don't lose them at the end of the chapter.
1: Yeah. Because ultimately if you took out the chapter breaks, you would just end up with scenes that were more clearly differentiated so you could break the novel into scene scenes as sort of units but then yes. you could break those units up at any point and then you might need to adjust them to make them prettier for the start and end of your chapters but yeah there's it's not it's not rigid and it's really more about where you start it and where you end it because beyond that then you're getting into talking about scene structure rather than chapter organization
0: sure we've been talking a little bit about Pacing and how that interacts with the progression and development of the story. What about developing a character? Are there considerations around the way we, the pace with which we develop a character in a story, as as well as the story as a whole, that we need to keep in mind?
1: With characters, um, with the character arc, it's important that it happen gradually and logically, that the reader can see that progression in the character, that growth in the character. What I sometimes see happen is the character either sort of sheds their flaw really immediately, very early in the book, and then the flaw Mm. never really feels relevant again. Or there's this sense of um, sort of randomness that the flaw just sort of pops out of the blue during the climax, and then they overcome it. And then the um, writer might draw connections between events that weren't obviously relevant at the time and try to sort of build retroactively a sense that there was a flaw and I think this happens because the writer sort of intuitively knows it should be there
0: yeah yeah so they're
1: sort of thinking um oh by the way I learned that I shouldn't be selfish (laughs) and (laughs) it sort of feels very stuck on um yeah yeah so So
0: yeah yeah no go on sorry
1: oh no sorry Um, so we want to see the character facing setbacks due to their flaw at least a couple times, um, preferably, probably a couple times per quarter. So we want to see that this flaw that the character has, whether they know it or not, is holding them back and hurting them, and we need to see an actual literal demonstration of that, so that it's very clear that this is a a flaw, that this is a, a bad element of their personality or, It doesn't have to be objectively bad, but it's something that's causing them a problem.
0: Hmm. Hmm.
1: And then usually then at the climax, we want to see the success be somewhat dependent on overcoming this flaw. So there should be some sense that by rejecting this flaw, it has assisted or aided in the character succeeding in the climax. So that just helps to wrap up the emotional storyline with the external storyline. So yeah, the simplest way to structure the character arc is demonstrate the flaw and how it's hurting the character and then show what input That character gets that helps them to realize that this is a flaw. So around the middle they should start to see Maybe this isn't working for me Maybe I'm behaving in a way that's not constructive or maybe my thoughts aren't the best around a certain issue or whatever the case may be and then they should have a final um, fairly significant rejection of that flaw that assists them in some way in succeeding in the climax. So that's sort of the Cliff Notes version. If that was even <laughs> a Cliff Notes version, I tried.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so by by rejection of it, d- does that mean that in an authentic way, in a way we can believe we're seeing the character has some kind of flaw. It has caused real problems for them, but they are now compensating for that flaw or they're learning from it. They're learning something or they're overcoming it or whatever. So to, to achieve their major goal.
1: Yeah, correct. Yeah.
0: Okay. So I wondered if there's anything, any resources that you could recommend to us just to help with getting pacing right. Is there anything that you've provided or anything out there that, that authors could go to, writers can go to, to to help them with this?
1: I have uh, several older videos on my YouTube channel that go over plot structure and scene structure, which I think can both be really helpful with um, getting the pacing right. Okay. Cool. Um, I also highly recommend Story Engineering by Larry Brooks and Anatomy of Story by John Truby. Both of those are really uh, helpful if you're the type of person who likes to look at structure and scene structure in a more technical mm. sense. I also think if you're the type that maybe doesn't like as much to study uh, structure, you don't want to think as much about formulas or things like that. I think it can be helpful to look at books or movies might even be better that you find boring. (laughs) I think the best option for this is like the bottom of the barrel of like Netflix movies or something like look at the super (laughs) low budget indie movies because they are usually made by people who are not professional writers or who don't um, necessarily Know about or how to use structure or things like that and usually the pacing is really odd And I think if you watch those movies and think about why does the pacing feel slow? Why do you not like this movie? Why is it so awkward feeling? I think it can help you to start seeing and identifying uh, Scenes that don't contribute to the plot or scenes that are redundant and stagnancy and things like that I think it can be a helpful a helpful way of seeing it in action and I think you can start to sort of build a, a sense of what doesn't work with pacing.
0: Okay. Can you just remind me what those two books were that you recommended again, please?
1: Yeah, that's Story Engineering by Larry Brooks. He also has a book called Story Fix. They're very similar to each other. Story Fix is slightly more focused on editing. And uh, the Anatomy of Story by John Truby, which is more geared towards screenwriters, I believe, but um, I think it's, it's very helpful.
0: Okay. Now, you've mentioned editing there, and I want to come to editing now as well. Obviously, a vast subject, but I wondered if this is the impossible question for you, perhaps in a way, but I wondered if you could give us just a kind of top line summary, a quick skim over the, pro- the editing process from the first draft. Through to when the writer should feel like they've got a final draft ready to go?
1: So, the editing process definitely has some individualized elements to it in terms of what works for some writers and what works okay. for some writers. Yeah. But I think a good general rule is to start with the biggest possible picture. So, start with the major elements like, do I need to add or cut a character? Are there plot points that are missing? Are there things that obviously don't make sense or that obviously don't work and start as large as possible? I generally recommend making a revision plan or using some sort of organizational system or if you don't hate creating an outline, creating an outline even after you've written the first draft can help you to look at it at a glance so that you can sort of look at where the big picture isn't holding together. Um, And I think this can help you sometimes stepping away from the manuscript itself and looking at an outline or a summary can help you to not get distracted by fiddling with the word choices Mm. or paragraphs Mm. or um, smaller details because you don't want to waste a bunch of time on those things if there's the potential that those scenes aren't even going to be in the book anymore. And you don't want to... I always think that if you ha- when you have the time to work on a book, it's that time is probably fairly rare, assuming you have a, a job and then you're not a full-time writer. So you don't want to waste that precious time on fiddling with things that you might not include in the final draft. So for efficiency's sake, I generally recommend try your best to not mess around with the word choices or move uh, the order of paragraphs or anything. Just try to stick... Uh, in that first round of revisions to just the general uh major elements and what needs to be adjusted there
0: okay so for the first draft we're talking about the the big plot points big decisions about characters maybe even take a character out or put them in and the 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 big structural issues rather than like has it got any typos or you know did i get my full stops in the right place and stuff like that
1: Right. And I also recommend paying attention to what you wanted to achieve with this novel, not just what's working or what isn't working, but what your vision or intention was. Because if you don't start working those elements in at this stage, you're going to get to a stage where it's going to be harder and harder to get back to your vision. Usually it's easier to edit the novel in a way that abandons your vision, especially if you had a more complicated concept of what you wanted to achieve, it can be easier to just throw away the more difficult to execute elements and focus on the easier elements. So Mm. I think it's important at that phase also to be honest in your evaluation of your own goal for the book and your own vision. And, you know, did you really achieve what you wanted to Mm. achieve? Are the themes that were important to you there are the emotions that were important to you there or do you need to work on better bringing out those elements that you really care about?
0: Now that's interesting, because that what you've said there implies that a writer should have a vision of what the book wants to achieve, and potentially beyond like, "I wrote this book because I want to tell a story," and that's it. That's all you th- It sounds as if you're encouraging us to have a deeper sense of what we're trying to achieve with the work that we're creating.
1: Yeah, for some writers, it might be very deep. For other, it doesn't have to be deep per se. It's more about just whatever drew you to write the story in the first place. If you wanted to write a book because you wanted it to be the scariest book that's ever written, but ultimately you didn't put in enough things. So you have this first draft and you're like, it's not really scary. Uh, you know, I had these ideas for creepy things that were going to happen and I didn't put it in. And now I could edit it and make it a drama. That's what I recommend avoiding is choosing the path of least resistance if that's not what you are trying to accomplish. Mm -hmm. Because to stand out in the market when you're going to query your book, you really want it to be something that's unique to you and something that really feels like it's coming from you and has a flavor to it that only you could provide. Mm. And I think it's really, really easy to abandon an original vision because it's harder to edit to that than it is to just take that easy path and just say, well, it works mostly as a drama, so I'll just turn it into a drama. If your original vision was horror and you still feel like you want to go with that, I mean, sometimes your vision could develop and you could change your mind, but if you still want to go with that original vision, then I would say, Definitely focus on that in the first draft what you wanted to achieve what was important to you But that doesn't have to be necessarily something that's deep or psychological. It can just be I wanted to write something that was really scary or I wanted to write this really cute romance and the romance didn't end up being cute or accidentally, you know, I Wrote by the seat of my pants and I ended up with this divorce story instead (coughs) uh, like (laughs) I mean, crazy things yeah. can happen when you go in without a plan and yeah. sometimes you have to step back and evaluate, you know, did you just go off on a tangent or is this really what you wanted to accomplish?
0: Yeah, that's interesting That because that, that almost sounds as if if you don't have a reasonably coherent plan in your mind. Even if it's not, it doesn't have to be deep, as you say, but actually the story and all the characters might just take on a life of their own and go off their own thing in some random way if you don't keep a grip on it.
1: Yeah. And I think that can happen, especially if you try to write really fast. Like if you're trying to write, um, like sometimes it happens with uh, NaNoWriMo, people will try to write the book in a month. They don't have a strong plan going in and then it goes like completely off and a tangent. But at that point, they're like, I've committed. So this is the way we're going. Um, And that's what I would say when you're looking at your first draft and you're starting to think about revisions, just to keep in mind, if you did veer off from what you wanted, make sure that you're satisfied with doing that and that you don't want to just bring it back to your original vision because it's much better at that point to throw away uh, half of the book than it is to edit it and then lose interest at the second draft or the third draft or the fourth draft because actually this book doesn't mean anything to you.
0: Mm, mm. What you
1: wanted and you don't want to put your name on it or whatever the case may be. So just with the first draft uh, venture into editing, I would say look at what you wanted to accomplish and make sure that you are accomplishing that.
0: Okay, so let's say we 've battled through our first draft and've we 've tackled some of those big structural issues and and tried to stay true to our vision so with second and third subsequent rounds of editing let's say we've got we've kind con- of content with the basics. What are we trying to sort out there?
1: so at that point uh, that 's when I would really start looking at. Uh, the scenes and organizing them, um, making sure that they're in an order that, like we were talking about earlier, that sure. contributes to a good flow. That there's a logical chain reaction between events, and I would also recommend looking at the character and making sure that they have a goal and a conflict that is. Relatively apparent at every point in the novel. So you don't end up with Sections where the character isn't really doing anything and that that's pretty common, especially if you are not a plotter It's pretty common to have sections where the character um, Might be exploring emotions or relationships, but there isn't really a goal or a conflict or a sense of forward movement so then you have to come up with a way to either wrap that into the plot or let go of some things that aren't necessarily relevant anymore or aren't really serving any purpose. So those are the main things that I would look for, primarily focusing on flow and momentum Mm. um, Mm. within and between scenes.
0: Okay. Do you think writers should show their manuscript to beta readers and maybe use critique groups and stuff like that? And if, if we should... At what point in the editing process should we be doing that?
1: That's definitely a very personal decision. And I think it can go better or worse depending on writer. Uh, Personally, I tend to recommend that you wait until you feel stuck. And if that's one paragraph into writing the book, that's fine. If it's pretty much at the very end when the book is pretty much completely done, that's fine too. But I recommend that you go as far as you can go on your own. If you start uh, showing work to a beta reader before you're stuck, especially if you're the type of writer who develops your vision as you go, so you need to get into the nitty-gritty, you need to get things on the page, you need to edit a few times to really refine what your vision is, you can end up straying away from what you want and writing something that your beta reader wants because you're over sure. overly accepting of their feedback. Um, You can also end up with elements that are conveyed poorly purely because it's an early draft. And then those elements may appear to beta readers to not work at all when really you just need more time to better convey them or to better refine your ideas or your vision or whatever. And Mm. then later on in the editing process, you could have developed those elements into something that really works that even the beta reader who told you maybe that they didn't like it would have liked it. Sure, Sure. Um, So I think that can be really tricky, but every writer is different and some find that that accountability is really helpful and that showing work to a beta reader once a week or once a day or whatever it, it works for them and keeps them motivated. So it can be a lot of balancing what point in the process you personally mm-hmm. benefit from feedback and also what you find motivating. Some people find feedback positive or negative motivating. Some people find feedback positive or negative to be the opposite, <laughs> to be very um, restricting or uncomfortable or makes them mm. self-conscious or makes them mm. second guess or whatever. So it definitely so we, has a lot to do with personality.
0: Sure. Okay. So it sounds as if we need to, as writers, we need to know how we react in ourselves to feedback and then and and, and be really careful about therefore when we show stuff to people and how we receive back that feedback from them.
1: Yeah, I think it's I think it's really important and I think that um, I think a lot of writers can feel pressure to get feedback early or to join a critique critique group or or have a beta reader earlier than they're really ready for. So I think if you know that feedback can be demoralizing for you or you know that it makes you uncomfortable, then I would say wait until you feel pretty confident in what you have because if you're if you have something that you're not that sure about and you're not that confident about and then you find that feedback makes you more self-conscious and more uncomfortable, you can end up putting yourself in a position where you don't want to work on a project anymore um, or you feel embarrassed or you feel hopeless or any sure. sort of like negative thing. So it's really yeah. very dependent. Other people completely thrive on feedback, a positive or a negative, and they constantly want as much feedback as possible. And uh, yeah, so just being aware and figuring out and it might take some experimenting and some reflection on whether you got something positive out of working with beta readers or not. And at what point that positivity occurred or didn't occur.
0: Okay. Uh, Now the other source of help, of course, for writers is, is a professional editor, somebody like yourself. So what can a professional editor doing the kind of thing that you do, what can you do to help writers with all of this?
1: Professional editors can help writers understand why certain elements of their novel um, doesn't work as well as they as well as it could Um, They can also help writers to better understand why what they're trying to achieve isn't coming across so maybe a character is being interpreted completely differently from what was intended or maybe the novel seems boring and they don't know why or readers have said that the book doesn't fit the genre that they're saying that it does Um, an editor can help you to pinpoint what's really going on what is causing this reaction to be different from what you're looking for. Mm. Um, Editors can also help identify why a novel is being rejected by agents or publishers, which uh, can be really helpful because usually, in most cases, agents and publishers are going to give you little to no feedback in terms of why they've rejected you. And so it can be helpful to get that feedback from an editor. And uh, I think one of the most important things with a freelance editor is that they can listen to your goals and your dreams and what you're trying to achieve outside of just here's the book, read it, what do you think? And that can help you to bounce your ideas off of someone who is trying to help you achieve your vision and isn't just looking at the book and saying, I don't get it or uh, I don't like this character. Because you can tell your editor what I'm trying to do is this, I want this character to come across in this way, or I want this theme mm. to come across. Mm. And then the editor can say, uh, this this isn't coming across and here's why, rather than just, I don't get it or I don't like yeah. it, which might yeah. be the only feedback you can get from other people. It really depends on the quality of your beta readers. There are some very, very good beta readers, of mm. course, who will give you better feedback than that. But, but yeah, so that's where I think that uh, you can get a lot of benefit.
0: Okay, so one of the... Issues that I suspect you see and can help people with is where manuscripts been written, say in close third person point of view, um, but the writer has really struggled with keeping for each scene the same point of view. That that actually what the, the problem they have is that they're drifting out of point of view and they're head hopping and and we're seeing the thing from different people's perspectives. I wondered if you could perhaps for those who who are not familiar with all of the the terminology there, give us a quick definition of a close third person point of view and head hopping. And then tell us a little bit about what we might do as writers to to tackle that kind of problem.
1: Sure. So close third person point of view is going to be in the thoughts or the feelings or from the perspective of just one character. So you're only going to get into the internal workings of one character at a time. Hmm. And switch between different characters at section breaks or scene breaks um, or chapter breaks, but you're not going to be moving between the thoughts and feelings of different characters within the same scene. So head-hopping happens when you go from uh, one character thinks one thing to this other character thinks another thing and there isn't a section break to separate those Mm. two so that it can become confusing. The primary problem is is that the reader can lose track of whose thoughts are whose. Yes, Uh, It can also be really disruptive to the pacing because the, the scene should be paced from the perspective of one character. So that should be the character who has the goal and then the conflict and then the outcome or the resolution of the scene. So if you're moving between the heads of multiple characters, especially if they have different concerns from each other, it can water down the structure of the scene or it can make it really confusing what... The reader is supposed to be rooting for, or what they're supposed to want to happen in the scene. When it comes to fixing that, I think my advice would be somewhat different if you're, if you have multiple third person, multiple deep third person point of views, or if you're just having one, if you just have one point of view and you're having a hard time with head hopping, you probably need to spend more time, Acclimating to the viewpoint of that character Hmm. So it can be helpful to write sort of practice scenes in the head of that character in isolation of other characters so just make up a scene about that point of view character taking a walk or going about their daily routine and uh, Really delve into what does this character think about what do they? um, Observe about their surroundings what catches their interest what things do they ignore about their surroundings sort of take time to? get acclimated to what's important to this character, how they think and feel and what their sort of default settings are internally. And then when you go to put that character into a scene with other characters, you're less likely to get into the other character's head because you are more Mm -hmm. acclimated to being in the headspace of that particular character. If you're having a hard time sort of getting into the character's headspace or you're having a hard time with sticking to one headspace, if all else fails, you can start by writing scenes in first person and then convert them into deep third person. Okay. Because most writers find it pretty natural to stick to the point of view of one character when they're in first person because it's very obvious to do that because we all know what it's like to be ourselves. <laughs> and so <laughs> we can put ourselves in someone else's shoes and we know that that person can't read the thoughts of other people. So we're less likely to, to attempt to do that. So that can be helpful even if you only do that for the skeleton of the scene or for the emotional elements of the scene. But really, I recommend focusing on the structure of the scene, which will help you stay oriented to that point of view character, that key character, because that's the character whose goal matters and whose conflict matters. And if you have clarity on that element, I think it's easier to stick with the character because you're less tempted to... Convey that information of, uh, or convey the events of the scene objectively, because you have positioned the scene in a way where it's obvious that this character is the relevant character. Their goal is what matters. Their conflict is what matters, and the other characters are side characters. Hmm.
0: Okay. So when we're thinking, of, we're thinking specifically about editing now. Are there resources that you can recommend? that can help writers with the editing process.
1: I already mentioned uh, story engineering and the anatomy of story, which are also really helpful for editing, especially if you're having trouble understanding the big picture elements and you want a more technical understanding of what structure is like. Mm. I have A lot of videos on my youtube channel but lately i've been working on a video series about different types of personalities of writers um sort of like different creative profiles and how that impacts the writing and editing process um so i only have one video up in that series so far although by the time this uh podcast comes out i might have more hopefully up by then but my goal with that is to really help writers to develop a system that works for them so that might also be helpful um as that series develops uh
0: okay Cool, and you've you've referred to your YouTube channel a little bit during our conversation. Uh, I I wondered if you could tell us a little bit more about that and the services that you offer to writers. So. Th- what would you individually what could you individually do for a writer and also what what else is there on offer and principally your youtube channel what could tell us a little bit about that
1: so uh, my website is ellenbrockediting.com and that's where i have my editing services right now i i have very limited time in my schedule so i'm not taking on a ton of new clients but i do primarily at this point work with clients on coaching specific aspects of their writing. So focusing just on improving voice or um, strengthening sure. pacing or structure or whatever. So we try to focus a little bit um, tighter on problem solving rather than just how can we make this one book better. I do uh developmental editing as well, which I also really enjoy doing. Um, but for some writers, especially early in the process, I really like doing the coaching element and focusing on how can we make this writer um stronger and more um able to produce novels that they're happy with rather than just focusing on how can we fix this one book to make this one book better Mm -hmm. um with my youtube channel i have a ton of different videos and some of them are really really old i've had the i think i've had this youtube channel for maybe seven years so some of them are very old and um (laughs) filmed on an iMac and they're very unpleasant to watch but I have lots of different videos about different writing and editing subjects and I especially lately I've been trying to bring a little bit more of my own perspective and my own theories about writing and editing and things that Mm. might be helpful um, rather than focusing on um, just technical elements that are like generally accepted like scene structure, thought structure, things like that. So I've been trying to focus more on um, some psychological elements, some Um, ways that you can connect to characters and ways that you can form um, better editing practices and things like that.
0: So if, if people are interested in how you work, what you can offer, the way you present stuff, they could, they could start very easily by just going to YouTube, looking up just, I guess you just put your name in and and a whole bunch of videos that can come up and people can pick, pick from that. And then that website again, that website address again was, what was it?
1: It's ellenbrockediting.com. So it's just my name, editing.com.
0: Okay, cool. We're coming to the end of our conversation now, but I wonder if there were any final words of advice that you would give writers on either editing or pacing from, from all of your experiences, like one or two things that you'd say, this is the thing you've got to remember. I
1: think the most important thing to remember is that your editing process doesn't have to look like anyone else's. And I can Mm -hmm. give recommendations on what I think is most efficient or what works the best generally or frequently, but that doesn't necessarily mean that that's what will work for you. So Some writers need to just bang out that first draft to wrap their mind around their vision while others might benefit from planning Everything in advance to reduce the time that they spend on editing just in general Um, So it takes some experimenting to find a system that works And I think it can be easy to feel pressure that you you need to edit in a certain way Um, there are a lot of uh, sort of little Pithy phrases of of advice where people say, you know, never edit as you go, or turn your inner editor off. But for some people, that isn't necessarily possible, and um, some writers aren't really able to write out a whole first draft without editing. And if they try to do that, they want to give up. That editing might actually help them to like what they see on the page and to inspire them to keep going. So Hmm. I think it's important to just do what works for you and to not feel that pressure that your process has to look like someone else's or it has to follow a specific rule and everybody is different and, and it takes time. And so don't get discouraged. If the, if the editing process doesn't work for you the first time you mm-hmm. can just keep trying to find mm-hmm. methods that work um, and that help you to achieve what you're trying to achieve.
0: So it sounds, this sounds if like one of the themes that's run through pretty much everything you've said is it's really struck me is, um, that writers have to understand how they are, how they work, what works for them uh, that might not work for other people, that they have, there is, I guess, then there's no shortcut to, to this. It's going to take time, but we have, we writers have to, we have to work out what works for us. The, all the advice is great, but actually some of it will work, some of it won't, and it's what what is actually, what suits the way we, each of us works.
1: Yeah, definitely. It's It's really important to have a sense of, what actually works and not just um what you like. You might like to fly by the seat of your pants, but that might not work for you. So you have to be realistic about, mm. does that actually work? And then you have to be reasonable about the advice that you accept because everybody can get, any writer or editor can give you advice, but you'll find tons of contradictory advice because everybody is just different and you have to be able to to discern what actually is efficient for you, what's effective for you and certain ways of thinking about things will click and certain things will not, or might even make it harder for you to progress or harder for you to wrap your mind about around what you're trying to achieve. So learning to disregard advice that doesn't help you, I think can be just as important mm-hmm. as adopting advice that does help you.
0: An interesting thought to finish on there. So Ellen, once again thank you very much for your time it's always a pleasure to have you on the show and, and to hear what you have to say and just before we go that that website again if people want to go and check out what the stuff that you do was ellenbrockediting.com is that yes, right yes. ellenbrockediting.com great okay thanks very much indeed ellen thank you all right nice to talk to you see you then
1: thank You. bye
0: bye bye Thank you for listening to the Creative Writers Toolbelt podcast. If you want to find out more about the podcast or me, just go to my website. It's andrewjchamberlain.com.